a reading from the book of Mark, chapter 5, 24 through 34. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and was a woman uh, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, ruler and king of the universe, we need you desperately. We are wounded and needy. But sometimes we forget that when we reach out for anything other than you, we are left disappointed, unfulfilled, and sometimes even worse off. Lord, direct our reach and our trust in you. Lord, we believe. Please help our unbelief. We pray that you would, through the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit, feed and nourish us with your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pascal. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, called Hope for Hard Cases. And uh, last week was uh, the first in that series, one of, one of my favorite stories. This one is another one. I feel like pastors always say that to you. Pastors are always like, this is my favorite passage. They say that every week. But I genuinely love the woman in this story. Uh, and I love Jesus' interaction with her for a number of reasons. And, you know, as I, was, as I was writing the sermon this week, I was reminded of my experience in um, school. I'm a high school dropout, uh, very bad with studying, and um, so school was traumatic for a lot of different reasons for me. But when I went to Bible college, uh, one of the most traumatic experiences I had was when I began to just even have an inkling of how much that I didn't know about Scripture in light of me feeling like God was calling me to preach and teach, and also the growing realization of how often I misinterpreted scripture. <laughs> I mean, there was like a point by the time I got halfway through seminary four years, five years later, that I was like, am I even saved? I don't even know. If, do I even belong here or not? I was thinking about that with this story because this is such a beautiful picture of genuine faith that's imperfect. It's such a liberating story for us in a lot of different ways. And, um, and, you know, what I shared about myself, it's still true for me in some ways. And, you know, this isn't the most encouraging thing to hear right up front, but that's true for every one of you. Every one of us in the room is likely wrong about five to ten things. 
from the Bible. We're walking around thinking that we understand something and we don't. We just, we're incomplete. Our faith is incomplete. Our view of Jesus is not complete as it will be when we're with him face to face. And yet, uh, we're the recipients of salvation and God's grace. And he calls us his children like he does this woman in the story. And so as we think about this, the big idea that I want to consider with you uh, this morning is that what this woman's experience reminds us of about the gospel is that an imperfect faith in God is always better than perfect faith in anything else. Pretty straightforward. Uh, We're gonna think about that in in three different respects. First, uh, that faith in anything other than Jesus always ends in heartbreak. I could probably get an amen from the room. Can I get an amen? It's a good Presbyterian amen, thank you. Very restrained. Amen, brother. Amen. 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 Uh, let's think about this woman's problem. I, I love thinking about the gospel stories as a case study. They're there for that reason. They want us to see these people and think, I'm like that too. Uh, that may be a challenge if you're a man like myself, but the more you think about it, the more we can identify with her. What we do know about her is that she was suffering from a medical condition. She had prolonged and reoccurrent bleeding Uh, from her reproductive organs. I'm pretty ignorant about this stuff for obvious reasons, but even in reading this story, I was like, I I wonder what that was. You know, when I read different scholars, a lot of people theorize that she had something called menorrhagia, which is a a problem with a woman, uh, her reproductive organs, that she experiences very severe pain and prolonged bleeding. Uh, the good news is, is today, in today's world, that's treatable. That's something that's pretty manageable from, from what I understand. For her, that would have been debilitating in a lot of different ways. And if you were able to listen to just the, the few details that we have about this story, you see that that's true. One, whatever medical treatment she could get, she could not be cured in the day and age in which she lived. Uh, she could not find relief, and it was severe enough that it lasted 12 years Uh, If you notice when Pascal was reading for us, it confounded every doctor, every quack that she went to, and she spent everything that she had. That paints a picture for you and I. This is not a woman who's like, I got a migraine, you know, I need a miracle. Although some migraines can make you feel that way. This woman had her entire life wrecked by the suffering that she was going through. she was cut off from other people in every sense. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, uh, there's a set of ceremonial laws that God gives the nation of Israel in Leviticus 15. They served a lot of different purposes. Some of them were pragmatic. Some of them were very sanitary. And with an issue in this, there's some truth in that. People that had certain medical conditions would need to be separated from others so they wouldn't get sick or be affected in negative ways as well. Uh, There's also uh, spiritual truths behind that. God created this whole system in which he would give his people this ceremonial law, and it created this framework for them to understand a couple very important things about God. That in order to approach God in all his holiness, to worship him in the temple, to be in his presence, we needed a purity Uh, that we don't possess on our own. So this physical law that seemed pragmatic in some ways also served as a road sign or a map to help us understand a spiritual truth about God. 
What does that mean for her? It means that uh, one of the, the requirements for the law that applied to her condition was that she would need to be free from any kind of bleeding for at least seven days. And if she had a condition that was constantly reoccurrent and present, she could never go to the temple to worship. So she was cut off from spiritual community. Another aspect of that law is that if somebody else came in contact with her during that period, they would technically be considered ceremonially unclean too, and they would have to separate themselves. So she was cut off from her social community. Now think about that. What if you got a condition here and we're like, you can't come back until that clears up? We kind of just dealt with that, right? And what was it like? Wasn't it kind of miserable not being able to see each other? And it's funny, you know, we come here every week and be like, yeah, I'm good if I don't see that guy for a couple weeks. But two years, the world went through COVID. Churches were segregated and separated. It was very difficult uh, for a lot of people. That doesn't begin to describe the suffering and loneliness that this woman went through, but it touches on it, I think, in some ways that help us um, see things through her lens. She became like a leper, even though she wasn't. Uh, when we think about this woman, I think that we can all be gracious and assume that she had very legitimate reasons for having faith in something else. Uh, we kind of get dropped into the story and we begin to see her right in the midst of this spiritual and physical crisis that she's in. But for her to think that she would go to these extraordinary lengths to find healing would be very reasonable for her. Uh, to this point in the story, when we are introduced to her, we, she doesn't seem to be a disciple. She's not. She doesn't know Jesus. We know that she's begun to hear things about him, but she doesn't really know who Jesus actually is. And so it would be completely reasonable for her to go to any lengths that she could with whatever material wealth she had uh, to seek help from things in the world. That would be totally normal uh, for her. And this isn't a critique of her. You know, when I talk about this part, this is not a critique of this woman, but I think her story actually creates a, a very good opportunity for you and I to consider how we actually do some of the same things. For her, the only thing that exceeded her physical pain was a crushing sense of isolation and loneliness that she experienced uh, through her suffering. You and I... If you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, you and I uh, can stop right here and just evaluate for a moment how we might be able to relate to this. Uh, we continually believe that God loves us. We can believe it in our head. We can have those moments in life when we actually feel it in our heart uh, and we feel a level of intimacy uh, with Jesus. But I, almost to a person, including myself, what I have found over the years is that when we... Uh, suffer physically, it can also cripple us spiritually uh, in ways that we don't really understand until it's gotten a grip on us. Uh, severe and prolonged suffering is one of the most detrimental things to people's faith if they're not living in intimacy with Jesus, if they're not going to him. Um, and I'm not talking about things like your favorite show on Netflix being canceled or you know, your vacation being canceled. I'm talking about the real life stuff, right? I read a book once uh, entitled Embodied Hope. Uh, it's a beautiful book about a very weighty subject, about the subject of suffering that doesn't seem uh, to be ending and how we can apply and understand the gospel of that and also talked about how we can love and support others while they're in that journey. And one of the central premises of the book 
is that when we experience chronic pain and suffering in life, uh, we tend to have a spiritual amnesia and we forget something that's incredibly important about God's love for us. It's that sometimes, and this is a very uncomfortable truth for many of us, sometimes God will use suffering to bring us closer to him. Sometimes that's just the way that God works. Uh, it reminds us of the truth that God will go to any lengths to bring you and I into the safety that trusting in him first and foremost can bring. A trust and a safety that's only available for you and I through Jesus. That's true when we got saved. I think a lot of times when we think about our conversion stories, it's much easier to identify that. Some of us have very dramatic stories. Some of us have very long, subtle journeys. But we all can look back and see a point where we realized everything else that I trusted uh, became unreliable. And, and in that worst moment, I realized that Jesus may be worth and, and worth trusting, and he may be safe for me to abandon myself to. Uh, that's also true for you and I, us today. As I said last week, I think one of the biggest dangers for people who have been walking with the Lord for any amount of time is that familiarity. The familiarity of God's love makes us complacent in uh, responding to it uh, in a way that brings us to a point of surrender and trust. Uh, here in this story, one of my favorite lines is, uh, she heard about Jesus. She didn't even see him that we know of. She just heard about Jesus. She had gotten so low in her suffering, just the fact of hearing about this guy who healed lepers and was performing miracles stirred in her a sense of hope after 12 years of suffering. It stirred a sense of genuine hope in her just at the very hearing about what this guy was doing. And conversely, her faith uh, gave rise to a belief uh, that maybe he could help her where nobody else could. And uh, we're going to talk about this in a second, but she, she even concluded that just, just even touching this guy's clothes could help her. Even if she just got near to him and touched him, that could heal her. That he would be able to do what nobody else was able to do for him. Now think about that for a minute. Can, can you imagine the level of determination and courage that it took for her? Being a person who was ostracized and cut off from society. A person who was spiritually cut off from being in worship because of this reoccurring problem. Uh, for her to decide, I'm gonna take a risk and go and try and even just touch this guy uh, displays a supernatural work of God, a grace that we don't naturally possess on our own. Let me tell you something about my story. The day that I genuinely reached out for God, I was not like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to meet Jesus. Let's do this. I was literally, God trapped me, ruined my life, threw me in a jail cell. Door shut, nobody there for me to finally just say, God, I need your help. And I genuinely wonder if you could help me. The, the prayer that I actually said was, God, I can't do this anymore. I need your help. You know, Rob and I were talking the other day and he reminded me of something that I said some years back and I think this, this is a spiritual axiom that's true for all of us. We see it displayed in this woman. God is a big fan of huge surrenders and simple but true prayers. 
big surrenders and small genuine prayers. God doesn't need us to be fancy with our words. What he wants is our heart to genuinely just bend towards him for help. Uh, because of that, when we go to Jesus with a genuine hope that he will help us, we will always see that a simple and imperfect faith brings the healing that we need. That's the second part that I want us to consider together, that a simple uh, faith in Jesus always brings the healing that you need. This woman had a lot of complexities to her situation, right? She, she had a genuine desire to be healed. She, she had a genuine hope that me, maybe Jesus could do this for her. Uh, she also probably would have been conflicted by um, understandable embarrassment. I mean, it's a very uncomfortable condition that she must have been dealing with. Again, I can't even imagine what it's like. But there also would have been social stigma about what she was experiencing. If, if you're familiar with the larger context of this story, uh, this is the point in Mark's gospel where Jesus has been hyped up. Crowds are literally bum-rushing him from all sides. And so she would be contemplating the idea of working through all that stigma that she felt like was placed on her, her physical suffering, the fear of being rejected, and then she decided that she was gonna push through a crowd of people, risking making them all unclean, and touch what she understood to be a rabbi who she would also theoretically make unclean in hopes that he would heal her. I mean, talk about Bravery, that's real hope in action, right? Uh, whatever faith and understanding she had was also mingled with superstition and incorrect understanding. I actually love that about this story. You know, that's how I, I remembered my experience in Bible college. I was like, when I first started reading scripture, I thought it was like a magic eight ball. I don't know if you know what those are. It's this old toy. It's nothing but a black eight ball with a little... I think eight-sided die on it, and you shook it, and there was a little window, and it would tell you what the answer is. I think Rob's talked about this, but I treated the Bible like it was my own magic eight ball, you know? Should I marry this girl I met yesterday? <laughs> Not likely. Um, she had some genuine misunderstanding and probably some superstition. She thought that it was just touching this guy's robe would heal her, right? Uh, but she approached him with real hope in some genuine faith, even in that mixed up bowl of all kinds of stuff. And that's all Jesus needed. That's what God gave her. God gave her that kernel of faith and hope, right? And she was like a child in that she was willing to approach Jesus in genuine, open seeking of help. You know, this highlights something about uh, you and I um, and our faith. And this is true of you, even if you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. Jesus always creates the encounters uh, that formulate in our life where we are given an opportunity to trust him more, right? And in this story, we see that Jesus uh, creates a dialogue with her through a very, what may seem like a bizarre question if you're not familiar with this passage. In that, she approaches this crowd, she pushes her way through everybody, she touches Jesus, and how does he respond? Not like the maker of the heavens and earth. <laughs> he says, who touched me? Uh, and there's a 
there's a beautiful complexity to that. But right here, one of the things I want us to think about is that Jesus was creating an opportunity for her to grow in her understanding of who he was. He does the same thing for you and I. In the same way that he was going to help her see who he was, that he was the son of God, and that it wasn't her superstition about him that saved her, but it was actually God's mercy and his supernatural work in this miracle that saved her, God constantly is doing the same thing with you and I in our lives, whether it's in very dramatic ways or very small ways. Uh, But it highlights something that's important. This woman was not healed by touching him. This woman was healed by that faith that she did express in Jesus. In our confession, uh, it talks about the fact that faith by its very nature is not something that you and I produce. It's a supernatural work of God. It's a gift. It's one of the most beautiful gifts that God gives us is the ability to have faith in him. You know, and as we've already been talking about, that doesn't mean that we have a perfect understanding of how that faith works. I think in reform circles in our tradition, in Presbyterians, we are hyper-focused that we must have a precise understanding of everything, you know? One of the reasons I wanted to do this series is the gospel can handle how messy your understanding is. Like, it's big enough, it's strong enough. Like, yeah, you got baggage? Bring it in. Jesus is all about it. You got a bunch of stuff you don't understand? He don't care. Come on. Uh, This woman is a class A example of that. Jesus is like, get in the car. It doesn't matter what you think. I'm about to blow your mind, lady. Uh, It gives us a sweet picture of how sturdy Jesus' love for us is. Uh, He's not offended or afraid of our misunderstandings about him. And to be sure, there's fundamental things. Uh, Janie says... Out of everything I learned in seminary, probably the thing that she, she really appreciates the most is uh, one of the most basic things, that the main things are the plain things in Scripture. The main things are the plain things, that we understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that we understand that what he did saves us, and he applies it to us. The vehicle that God uses is faith, not perfect faith, not perfect spiritual maturity, but a simple unbridled faith, taking that leap of faith and trusting him. um, That's a great reminder for me. It's a great reminder for us because I think that we're more like her in our superstitious beliefs about God than we like to think about. Uh, We tend to approach God and getting close to God, especially when we're suffering, uh, like it's a secret mission. You know, I remember when I got saved, I'd sneak in the back after service started. If there was a greeting, I was in the bathroom. When the greeting ended, I was in the back pew. When he said, let's pray before we close service, I was already in my car. Uh, I wanted to be near Jesus because what I experienced with him was amazing. But living in proximity to him in a life of faith, that was scary. And I didn't know if it was safe for me or not. And I didn't know if I was welcome with all the stuff that I had been through. Uh, the beauty of Jesus' love for you and I, though, is that he, he will not allow us to live w- with a limited or a flawed view of who he is. And a, and a flawed view of what he wants for us. Jesus loves us too much to leave us there. 
uh, what he truly wanted this woman to know and what he reminds you and I of in the gospel is that what saves us, what heals us spiritually, uh, is the object of our faith. And even if we have an imperfect faith that feels like it's almost non-existent at times, the object of our faith is perfect where we are not. And that's what saves us. Uh, she experienced this in real time. I mean, if you think about it, if we could play this out like a scene, it's really kind of wild. She experienced this in real time in her life. Uh, if you notice in the passage, he talks about the fact that Jesus is walking, she pushes through the crowd, she touches him, uh, and he stops and he says, who touched me? And the disciples doing what they do. They're like, are you crazy right now? There is 607 people pushing against you. I have no idea who touched you. Uh, and her response is what? She realizes that everything she hoped would happen happened just like that. And when Jesus asks that question and looks around, he surveys the crowd looking around for who did it. It says that she came forward in fear and trembling. When the, when the scripture is translated into English, uh, it's not fear and trembling like she's afraid that God's gonna punish her as much as it's a sense of reverence and awe. I mean, think about it. She had been suffering for 12 years at home, wondering if this could finally be it. Everything she had, she gave to try and be healed. It failed. She hadn't even met Jesus as far as we know. She just heard about him. And based on that, she went and touched him and it happened. She was filled with awe that this deep and desperate hope was fulfilled in a moment. And what's her response? I love it. She told them the whole truth. <laughs> she told them everything. I'm a mess. I just, I just like made 47 people unclean trying to get to you. I don't even know what's going on, but I just had this idea that maybe you would heal me and, and you did it. I, look, this is what I went through to get here. 12 years, I don't have anything. People don't talk to me. People forgot I exist. I can't go to worship. That's why I just pushed through and touched you, because I hope that you would do it for me. When I was a, a young Christian, I read this uh, book by a man named John Eldridge, and uh, in that book, he talks about growing into a deeper sense of reverence and awe and trust in Jesus through some very painful experiences in his life. One of them was that he started this really interesting ministry with uh, one of his best friends. And uh, they'd been doing it for several years, ministering to men in the church. And uh, they were at the point where they had set up all these spiritual retreats. They were ministering to hundreds and thousands of men. And uh, things, it, God was on the move. It was like things were really beginning to take off for them. And his best friend, who was also kind of a spiritual mentor, suddenly died one morning in a climbing accident. And he shares a story about how he became super uh, confused and disillusioned uh, with God and that that really turned into uh, anger and bitterness at God. And that he began to have all these really untrue and flawed mis mis misunderstandings about about who God was to him and what God was up to. And he finally came clean about it, was sharing that with one of his other best friends. And during the conversation, his best friend just innocently and genuinely said out loud while they were talking, he said, man, 
this is so devastating and I really wonder what God's up to in all of this. And he said in that moment, he realized that even in the midst of incredible grief and loss and suffering, that God was creating this invitation for him to draw closer to him. You know, and God is constantly creating the same opportunities for you and I in our lives, whether it's through the low-grade street-level stuff, whether it's through a loved one dying. God is constantly creating the same opportunities and giving you and I an invitation to draw closer to him. Uh, a lot of you guys know uh, that I've been divorced before. Lo- looking back with eyes of faith on my divorce, uh, which was something I, convin- I was convinced disqualified me from ever being in ministry, uh, one of the, the biggest things that God taught me in that was that every disappointment, every pain that I went through, every loss, every season of suffering I've had in my life, especially in that divorce, uh, God has used in unexpected ways to offer me a humbling and convicting invitation to consider what I was actually placing my trust in when things were tough. Um, And God does the same thing for you and I. Every time we find ourselves uh, in a difficulty, feeling confused about what we thought we know about God, God is giving you and I an invitation to get a clearer picture of who he is to us personally who he is as the lover of our souls and to remind us of the reality that especially when we think he's furthest from us, he's actually the closest. Uh, And one of the ways he does that, we see in this story, one of the ways that he does that is that he blesses us in ways that we could never imagine or even ask for. Uh, That's the third part that I want us to consider that that an imperfect faith in Jesus always means that he will bless us with more than we could ever ask for. Uh, as I said, you know, when, when this part where Jesus says uh, to his disciples in the crowd when he asks a question, who touched me? It's one of the most fascinating glimpses of uh, the two natures of Jesus. The doctrine called the, uh, the two natures of Christ. And, and basically... It's the idea that we see in scripture that God gives us just even a mental foothold that that in the person of Jesus exists two natures, one that's perfectly man and human and one that's perfectly God and divine and that they both dwell in the same bodily person without mingling or confusing each other. This is one of the few pictures where you're like, whoa, I thought... I thought he was perfectly God. He should totally know who touched him. Uh, and I, how does that make sense with him being real man? And you know, there, I went through even just a bit of an evolution in studying this passage. Pascal and I had a conversation about how mind-blowing that glimpse is. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed about this passage is that it's just honest. <laughs> Jesus is honestly a man. And in that moment, he honestly asked that question, who touched me? Confirms that it's truly human. Okay, nothing to be afraid of. Uh, it also gives us a glimpse of the divine nature of God's love and his heart. Uh, we see that in him being willing to heal this woman and create an opportunity for her to truly surrender uh, to Jesus in seeking the help that she needed. He was drawing her out. 
but that came through this very human, real interaction that Jesus had with her when he invites her to come forward. This wasn't a mean exchange like, hey man, who's touching me? He's like, who touched me? Picture it like a happy Jesus, like, who touched me? And then God being like, come here. I'm about to blow your mind, lady. <laughs> uh, in that moment, <clears throat> she was filled with a sense of reverence and awe, genuine fear about the implications of what had just happened, mixed with hope and excitement that she was finally healed and healed in ways that she began to truly believe would never be possible. But you know, that highlights... Uh, that highlights the beauty of how the gospel transforms every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our faith. She went to him with a faith that was simple and true, childlike, but also filled with all kinds of baggage that we all have living in a fallen world, being fallen imperfect beings. And Jesus highlights that the healing that we seek is just the beginning of what he wants to give us in the gospel. Uh, it's true, she experienced a miracle. In that moment, she touched him. Before she even had a conversation with Jesus, she was physically healed. Uh, but you know, it's interesting that that physical healing is really just a precursor or a road sign to the spiritual healing that God wants us to have. Uh, if you're here and you're an addict, you know that getting sober is a supernatural work of God. God saving you from the obsession to get loaded is a supernatural work. You could apply that to anything. If you've struggled with a relationship with food, at times the obsession is so real, it's a supernatural work of God. If you struggle with anger, our hearts rage. It's a supernatural work of God that, that frees us from that. She experienced a genuine physical healing. Uh, but the spiritual healing was what God really wanted her uh, to experience in that moment. Uh, in verse 34, Jesus turns to her. She tells him the whole story. And look at his response. Very straightforward. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And you know, this term daughter here, this is the only recorded instance of Jesus calling a woman daughter in the Gospels. It's a very intimate term. It's not one loaded with anything but affection and mercy and love for her. In that moment, he wanted her to know that the physical healing was something he was happy to do, but that it was simply the beginning, that it was a precursor for the spiritual healing that was available through the faith that God had weaved into her heart, that kernel of faith. And think about that, how that would have transformed her life. If the greater miracle is not the physical healing that she received, as incredible as it was, if it's spiritual healing that she received, let's think about some of the ways that that would transform her existence. Uh, this is a woman who would be unwelcome and unknown in society at this point in her life in many ways. And she was given a new place to belong in the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't just that Jesus said, okay, you can go back to the temple. God is literally saying, you belong to me now. You are my child. Uh, a woman who, uh, in this story, is not even named. We, we don't even know what her actual name was. She is given an identity and a sense of belonging 
that is only available from the creator of the heavens and the earth. In that moment, God said, if this is what you want, genuine faith, you ask to see what I can do, I'm gonna give you so much more. And you know, one of the things I love about that is Jesus doesn't stop to correct her poor doctrine. (laughs) I think we're super guilty of this as Christians. He's not like, well, okay, technically, you know, I'm divine. I have two natures. I want you to understand that. It's important that they don't mingle, they don't mix, but I want you to know that I am God and I can heal you. I am going to heal you because you have genuine faith, but you need to know you didn't do that. God gave you that. It's a work. I want you to read these two books, come back, grab the scrolls, read the Old Testament. When you come back, I'll heal you. if you're clear on everything, right? This is coming from a Presbyterian. Guilty. I'm preaching to myself first. In that moment, what does Jesus do? He says, yes. Yes, I can do that. Yes. You don't, watch this. I can do that. Watch what I'm going to do for you. You belong to me now. You are healed. Not just in the physical sense, because that will only last for a while, but in the spiritual sense. Why? It's the faith. It's the faith that I gave you. What does that mean? That you're a part of the kingdom of heaven. You have a place to belong. Your entire life and existence will never be the same, not only here, but for all of eternity. You're different now because you're with me. Daughter, you are healed and you are free. You know, God's view of our suffering and healing is so different than our understanding of it, right? It's so radically different. The way that God views our suffering and the way that he helps us grow by his grace is so radically different than our understanding of it, especially when we're really getting banged up in life. Uh, whether this is you know, train wrecks that are of our own making or like this woman, suffering under the effects of being in a fallen, imperfect body in a broken world, uh, I think this is true. If we're experiencing the consequences of our own sins, I think a lot of the times, the longer that we suffer through them, we can become convinced uh, that we're outcasts, that God must be disappointed in us, or maybe God's mad at us, and so he's not helping us. Uh, That usually becomes a kernel that gives its way into this plant of bitterness and anger towards God that grows in our hearts until finally we're convinced that God's not really all that nice. And so why, we sh- why should we trust him? Why is it actually safe to trust him? Uh, other times, even prolonged suffering uh, that's not of our own making can lead us to the same place. We earnestly and genuinely pray for healing and it doesn't come when we hope and pray that it would. And look, that's real, you guys. I've been with people who we have prayed for their healing and they were not healed. That's just true. We have, uh, uh, we had a man named uh, Guitar Don who was, uh, we called him Eric Guitar Don, who was a member of our church, homeless man, homeless 14 years, he had schizophrenia and and, uh, he got cancer, it was pretty late stage cancer. And and, uh, we prayed for him and prayed for him and you know what, the Lord took him home. And it was, it was difficult. I love Don very, very much. I had a very, very sweet spot for Don. Jane and I used to have him over the house all the time for dinner. And it was very difficult for me. But you know, you know what God taught me in retrospect about that? Was that for a man who lived on the streets for 14 years and suffered mental and physical anguish, it was better for him to be home. And what's even more amazing is Don never doubted that. 
He never doubted that once. He'd always be in the front row playing air guitar. That's why we called him Air Guitar Don. As soon as the music started, he'd be playing, a, I don't know, a guitar, worshiping Jesus, even when he was sick. Uh, another way that I think this affects us is we can become so convinced that our sins, our suffering, is really something that we should be embarrassed about. Uh, our imperfect and weak faith makes us feel like um, we should be ashamed to go to God or admit that to him or other people, and we begin to condemn ourselves. And there's something insidious about that trap for us because it, it gradually and slowly cuts us off from that intimacy that God wants us to grow into uh, during suffering. And it also cuts us off from the people that he gives us to remind us that God actually loves us. And even when we're going through prolonged difficulty and suffering that he is still working through his word, through his spirit, even in the midst of the pain and through his people, through the church. Uh, and we cut ourselves off. We think, why well, I, I don't belong there. I'm a spiritual leper because I don't have enough faith. Uh, I don't understand Jesus correctly, so I guess I'm just a mess. I wouldn't blame Jesus if he didn't want me getting closer with him. His response to this woman is a response that he gives to you and I every single moment of our lives. Every Sunday, we come here and we read his word and we're reminded of that promise. That even when you feel like you don't deserve to be here and you don't belong here, your faith is a mess, even if you're upset with God because you don't understand what he's doing, his response is the same. That he loves you and he is for you. And none of those things can stop him from loving you. And even if we do continue to suffer through difficulties in life, it's not an indictment on us and it's not a reflection of God's love for us. It's an invitation to take a bigger leap of faith and to ask God, this is really hard and it's really hard to believe that you're still for me, but I wonder what you're up to. And so I showed up again in faith, and God always blesses that. He always responds with mercy and love for us. So just in closing, uh, a point of application. I, you know, I was thinking about this. I, when I worship with my evangelical brothers, here's the two extremes I think I see in the church when we think about faith to life, you know? Understanding in an abstract to w what it really means for our life. I think my evangelical brothers and sisters are like, sometimes get caught up in the, in the book of James camp. Look, if you're not doing something all the time, your faith is probably dead, you suck, get out of here. Uh, you gotta do something, you gotta respond. That's true, but that's not all there is. I think in our camp, we're like, well, you know, we're, our job is just to believe, you know, and, and to have a correct understanding and to have doctrine. Don't make people feel bad by saying that your faith may actually change your life and compel you to live it out publicly. That's, we don't want to bind consciences here, you know. That's also not true. Uh, both of them are like two sides to the same coin. For, for us here this morning, I have no doubt about what this woman's life was like after she was saved. I mean, does, does anybody think that this woman wasn't on fire for Jesus after this? I mean, this woman would have been on fire. She was living out her faith. I will stake everything on it. If I'm wrong, we'll find out when I get to heaven. But I suspect, I have a good hunch, she was on fire for the Lord. 
But what's also true here is that she was called to a life of faith and trust and to rest in that. Every week when we take the supper, we read uh, from John chapter 6 in what's commonly referred to this passage where Jesus talks about the fact that he is the bread of life and he has just performed several miracles and his disciples approach him and he's saying, you know, his disciples finally approach him at one point and say, what must we do to do the works of God? Answer must have been so disappointing for them. You know what Jesus says? He says, the work of God for you is this, that you believe in him who he has sent. They're like, that's not enough. I, gotta do some, I need to do some miracles. I'm ready to wreck things for Jesus. But it's a great reminder that it's a supernatural work for you and I to trust and to believe in the one that God has sent to save and to heal us. And when he talks about trust, he means a, a genuine trust, even in the absence of full understanding. Practicing resting, even in the midst of difficulties, that God is at work in our life and practicing the discipline of learning how to follow Jesus through good seasons and difficult ones in our life. And so Jesus' invitation for you and I this morning is simply this, to daily reflect on where we're genuinely placing our trust. Is our trust in him? Are we taking that leap of faith to trust in Jesus first and foremost, even when we don't do that well? One of the ways that we can practice that is by telling him the whole story. Whatever that story is, you have perfect license and liberty to tell Jesus the whole story of your heart. Whatever that is, he welcomes that. And to give him the burden of your pain, your fears, your insecurities, your doubts, your unbelief, all of it. And trust that not only is he gonna help you grow in those things, but that it doesn't change how much he loves you. When we live that out publicly, people can't help but begin to wonder who Jesus is when they hear about him through us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you. We thank you for being a God who is um, so compassionate and so merciful and so patient and so generous that you give us this gift of faith that through your spirit you give us uh, this supernatural gift that actually helps us just get a glimpse of who you are and how beautiful you are and how powerful you are. And, and it gives us this beautiful glimpse of your heart for us that you are always for us and that you love us, that you see our concerns and our worries and that they don't scare you away, our doubts and our fears and that they don't deter you, but that you are constantly drawing us closer to you and in inviting us to practice trusting you more deeply in our lives. We thank you for that gift of walking with you through this life into eternity and we pray that we will constantly be reminded of the deep, deep love that you have through us as we gaze upon Jesus, your beautiful son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If I could ask you to stand with me as we sing in response to the beautiful love of Jesus.